Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. Today I'll be teaching through the um, pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy chapter 1 from the New International Version as usual. So let's get started. Let's, let's begin with a little background information on this great book. After spending some time there at Ephesus, Paul left for Macedonia, and he left uh, young Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, in charge of the church at Ephesus. He left him with uh, some instructions to straighten out some of the problems that were going on there. There were false teachers who were teaching false doctrine and troubling the saints there. Um, so Paul left him there to deal with that. Paul also gave Timothy the responsibility of establishing the proper order and conduct in the church and of appointing uh, church leaders. Paul sent his first letter back to Timothy with detailed instructions on how to carry out his responsibilities in this church. Uh, Timothy was considered actually a, uh, uh, a youth in ancient culture, even though he was probably in his 30s or, or 40s. He was no novice. Uh, he was a mature saint. He had, he had studied the scriptures from his early years, the Jewish scriptures, uh, from a child. So he was a mature Christian leader and uh, steeped in the faith. Um, Paul also had mentored this young man and trained him. In fact, Paul was the one who uh, led him to Christ. I believe it was in Lystra that he led him to, to Christ. This letter was written to Timothy and the church, the saints at the church of Ephesus from Macedonia around 62 AD. First Timothy, uh, Second Timothy and Titus were the uh, last three letters written by Paul before his execution. These three letters are called pastoral epistles because they were written as leadership manuals to provide guidance in the organization and oversight of churches in Asia. And of course, these guidelines and the information in them are used all over the world uh, today to organize and to operate churches all over, all over the Christian world. Okay, so let's get into the word. Now I'm reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul opens his letter with his standard greeting identifying himself as an apostle of Christ and identifying to whom the letter is sent. Uh, he extends his customary blessings, his, his wish, his prayers for grace and mercy and peace. These are signatures of Paul's letter. Now I'm reading verses three and four. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus 
so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So Paul, again, had mentored and trained young Pastor Timothy and, and had him stay there at Ephesus to, to correct these problems of, uh, of false teaching. And Timothy was told to stop people from teaching uh, about extended genealogy. The Jewish people took pride in their, in their genealogical records, uh, their ancestry, and so they studied them carefully. And uh, in fact, uh, it was so important that uh, the genealogies are included in several of the Gospels um, because it's proof that Jesus Christ descended from, from David. And, uh, and so the, the Jewish people were, were the leaders. Some of the uh, uh, false teachers were getting into genealogies, teaching genealogies, distracting people from the, uh, the important work of building the saints up. The word doctrine means teaching or instruction. False doctrine either uh, distracts or misleads people. Uh, it gets them uh, into chasing after things that have no real value. It conflicts with the teachings of Christ and the apostles. And again, it misleads people. It diverts people from pursuing major issues of faith and into uh, pursuing worthless and vain pursuits. In Ephesus, they were teaching myths and again, tracing family bloodlines. And uh, of course, these things led them away from uh, instruction in righteousness and godly edifying. Timothy had to challenge and stop these false teachers. Now, uh, Timothy was a, a kind of a timid person and he was not uh, one of those people who liked to push himself out front. So Paul had to push Timothy to push the people. Uh, he had to be bold. He had to uh, stand up because uh, false teachers are all often bold and they will challenge you. And you have to be strong enough to stand up and oppose them. Uh, introverted people don't like confrontation. Uh, but Paul called Timothy to deal with these things directly and head on. These people were creating controversy in the church rather than advancing God's work of godly edifying, is what Paul said. Godly edifying is building up people in faith and godliness, and that's the work of the church. Godly edifying, to, to build up. Um, the word edifying comes from our word edifice, of course, uh, to build up uh, superstructure, to build people up in the faith, to edify them. Satan is a master at creating diversions and having people major on, on minor things to hinder the work of godly edifying. We have to, as God's people, stay focused on keeping the main thing the main thing because it's so easy to get distracted and we have to be vigilant about avoiding these kind of distractions. When examining doctrine or teaching, we must ask ourselves several important questions. Number one, does it advance the work of God? What I'm studying, what I'm learning, what I'm being taught, does it advance the word of God, uh, of uh, uh, making disciples, building them up in the faith, uh, building them up in love, and building them up in godliness? And we must ask ourselves 
Second question, does it distract from the work of God? Does what I'm pursuing uh, take me away from the work of God? And number three, does it conflict with the teachings of Christ and the apostles? So uh, that's the way to measure any teaching that's presented to you, uh, these three questions. Paul said uh, to Timothy uh, directly and emphatically, stop this false teaching. It's hurting the church. Now I'm reading verses five through seven. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they confidently affirm. The goal or the aim or the objective of Paul's command to stop the false teaching is to focus the Ephesians, uh, the uh, Ephesian Christians, the saints there, on the pursuit of love. The Bible tells us that love is the greatest commandment, and the aim of the commandment is love. What God is moving us toward is, is loving each other. True teaching is aimed at building Christians up in love. False teachers sidetrack God's people from, his, uh, from, from, this, from this goal by preoccupying them with worthless pursuits and, and meaningless talk, Paul said. The false teachers were ignorant themselves and they were misleading others. They thought they knew, but they didn't know. Now I'm reading verses 8 through 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So Paul gives the practical purposes of the law in the age of grace. The law is not for the righteous because righteous people are obedient to the law by nature. When we come to Christ, he creates in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. So we don't need laws to restrain us or to constrain us from doing wickedness. Of course, we need the word of God to direct us into how to live righteously. But there is an innate desire in us once we're born again to do what is right. So we don't need people policing us. Uh, we need people teaching us how to better execute righteousness, how to better pursue righteousness, but uh, true born-again saints of God have an inclination toward doing right. Now we have to struggle within ourselves because we're still living in sinful flesh, uh, our bodies that would desire to do evil. But when we come to Christ, he puts in us a desire to do what is right. And so we have this fight, this struggle within us, and we have God's Holy Spirit that helps us to win. Of course, we have to uh, study the word of God. We have to pray. Jesus said, pray so that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. So there is a conflict within the people of God, but we're not under law. We don't have to have laws to restrain us. We have uh, the righteousness of God, the desire, the hunger, and the thirst for righteousness that drives us toward doing what is right. Law is for those who are prone to do wrong. And Paul gave this long list of things that the law is there to prohibit, to, to restrain in ungodly people. So the law is not for righteous people, but for, um, for the ungodly. The law is to restrain lawbreakers and rebels. Um, Paul gives this list, and I'll, I'll touch on this list that he gave. He, he said uh, it's to restrain people who are ungodly, who are sinful, who are unholy and irreligious, for murderers and sexually immoral people, uh, for those who practice homosexuality. Yeah, the Bible says this, and for those who have uh, a problem with that, um, then your problem is not with me. Your problem is with the Bible. It says that in verse 10, those who practice homosexuality. And it says slave traders and liars and perjurers. Anything else that is contrary to the sound teaching of the gospel. Righteous people turn away from this kind of behavior. Um, we struggle to do what is right, but we have the... the uh, the Spirit of God helping us, and we fill ourselves with the Word of God, and we're able to overcome some of these old habits and, and these old sins, and, and as we grow in Christ, we become more and more like Him. Okay, so righteous people turn away from these kinds of behavior, not because there's a law against it again, but because it displeases Christ, and it hurts others, and we want to do what is right. True Christians are not restrained by law, to stop doing wrong. They are compelled by love. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, uh, the New Living Testament says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such command, commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So when we become Christians, we uh, fall under the law of love. We have the love of God in us, and we have the word of God that directs us on how to love. Uh, if we make love our greatest aim, and that's what the Bible tells us to do, make love your greatest aim, uh, follow after charity, the King James says. Uh, if we make love our greatest aim, then, then we won't have to focus on the law. Uh, again, Christians are not under law, but under grace. It's not mean that we uh, are free to live a sinful lifestyle. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we're free to live a righteous life by faith and love. That's what it means. Uh, God works within us, the Bible says, to accomplish his will. And you'll hear me quote this passage repeatedly because it's such a powerful passage. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 13. And it says, work to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you 
giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's the New Living Testament version. Uh, so uh, the King James Version says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is working inside us, helping us to work out our salvation. That is not to earn it, uh, but to help us, help us to obey it. God is inside us giving us the desire to do what is right, and he's giving us the ability to do what is right, and we have to use that ability to oppose our own flesh. Now I'm reading verses 12 through 14. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul said, God gave him strength, verse 12. God gives us the strength to do his will, as I just said. God gave Paul the strength to do the work of an apostle. God also appoints trustworthy people to his service. He uses those who use his strength to do his will, okay? So we have to qualify for certain uh, services in the church. We have to qualify for, certainly for leadership position based on our character, our willingness to, to uh, submit to the will of God and the word of God. And in, uh, in the book of Acts, when they... Uh, Pointed the first seven deacons, there were certain qualifications that these deacons had to meet. Uh, they had to be men of honest repute, a reputation of honesty. They had to be full of the Holy Spirit, and they had to be full of wisdom. So um, Paul said, God saw that I was worthy, and he put me in the ministry, made me an apostle. Uh, we have to work with the strength that God gives to correct ourselves and to adhere to his teaching before we're qualified to serve in certain positions, especially positions of leadership. Paul is an extreme example of God's grace and mercy. He talks about God's grace and God's mercy that was extended to him. God gave him great grace and great mercy. He persecuted the church. And he had many saints put to death, uh, but, but he did it in ignorance. He did it in unbelief, he said. And so God showed him mercy and saved him and called him to be a, an apostle. God forgave Paul and poured out his abundant grace on him and his faith and his love into Paul's life. So Paul was a uh, uh, an example, uh, uh, an extreme example of God's grace. Now I'm reading verses 15 through 17. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience uh, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. By saying uh, or by saving Paul, the worst of sinners, Christ demonstrated that he could save anybody. Uh, he saved Paul who had persecuted the saints, who had a, a personal vendetta against Christians, and he uh, sent many into prison and, and probably many to their death. But despite this, God saved him as an example to those who are out there doing terrible things. God did this to show them that if I can save a man like Paul, I can save you. And I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care how dirty or filthy your past has been. I don't care how ashamed you are of the things that you've done. God has enough grace to save you. He will forgive you. And that's why Jesus Christ suffered such agony and died on the cross and rose again. He paid for the worst kinds of sins. He paid for all of our sins. And so you can find forgiveness at the cross. Uh, you only have to humble yourself, go before God, ask him to forgive you of your sins and to receive you uh, as one of his and be willing to submit to the, the leading of Christ, be willing to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life because uh, Jesus is more than just our savior. If we are true Christians, he is our Lord. And as our Lord, he has the right to command our lives. He has the right to tell us what to do and when to do it. He has the right to direct us. Uh, and so I don't care what you've done. There is enough grace for you. Again, by saving Paul, Christ displayed his immense patience as an example for uh, others to see. His patience with Paul demonstrates the great death of his patience to others who would, who would come to him. So I'm worse than Paul. Paul closes this epistle by praising some of God's attributes. He is the king eternal, Paul says, that is without beginning or end. He is immortal. He will never die. He is invisible. That is, he is unseen. God can be seen if he chooses to, but he is unseen. He is unseen in the sense that no one can look upon his face and live. There are those who, who have seen God. Uh, they have seen his, the trail of his glory. Moses did. And, and there were 70 some odd elders who went up the mountain uh, with Moses and they, they saw God. They saw his feet. And they saw uh, portions of him, but they did not see him in his full glory. They did not see him. Uh, they did not look upon his face. Uh, Paul says he is the only God. Uh, and so that lets us know to exclude all other deities. There are no gods besides the one God, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of honor and glory forever and forever. Now I'm reading verses 18 through 20. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, 
to be taught not to blaspheme. Paul tells Timothy to remember the prophecies made about him. Evidently, when uh, at some point in Timothy's life, there were prophecies made about him, about his ministry. And so Paul is telling Timothy to reflect upon those things, those prophecies or those promises or, or whatever it was that was spoken to Timothy by the supernatural move of God upon Paul or some other men as they laid hands upon him. Uh, and so Paul is to, uh, uh, Timothy is to reflect back upon those prophecies uh, to encourage himself. Paul knew that Timothy would be greatly encouraged by meditating on the prophecies that had been given to him. And so that's advice to us. We should meditate on the promises of God in his word because meditating and reflecting upon God's word and his promises encourages us to fight well. Uh, it also encourages us to hold on to the faith and a good conscience. And it encourages us to persevere in the face of, of difficulty. I want to tell you that there is strength in the word of God. There's comfort in it. There's strength in it. There is encouragement in it. So we should meditate upon it. We should memorize it. We should read it every day. Um, we should spend time in prayer because there's strength in prayer and there is strength in the word. There is renewal of our mind as we study God's word. An example of a promise to meditate um, is in Matthews 6.33. And it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and all righteous uh, and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The King James says, but first seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So that's a good passage of scripture to, uh, to memorize, to reflect upon, to meditate upon, because we're going to meet with opposition in this world as Christians. Uh, we're going to suffer persecution and we're going to be faced with discouragement. We have to encourage ourselves in the Lord by reflecting upon the word of God, by reflecting upon the promises of God, by meditating even upon the good things that God has done in our lives. This is a promise that will motivate us to persevere. Now, uh, in verse 20, Paul mentions two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who had evidently fallen into sin and blasphemy. <clears throat> Paul turned them over to Satan, probably by expelling them from the, from the church uh, and putting them out, of course, and, and this left them open to satanic attack so they could learn not to blaspheme. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul commanded the saints to hand a man over to Satan, uh, verse 5, by putting him out of the church, <clears throat> verse 13 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, this man was committing adultery with his stepmother, with his, with his father's wife, and he was proud of it. He wouldn't repent of it. And the church was allowing it to happen. So Paul rebuked them sternly and said, put this man out of the church. So handing an unrepentant person over to Satan seemed to involve expelling them from the church uh, with the hope that after Satan inflicts his hardships on them, then uh, they would humble themselves in return and be repentant 
and of course, be saved. Well, that brings us to the end of 1 Timothy chapter 1. In our next teaching session, uh, we will cover chapter 2. Thank you for joining us for Teaching Through the Bible. And until next time, may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.emergecurriculum.com.